This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today we are kicking off our summer message series from 1 Peter called You Are Chosen. So every summer at Christian Chapel, we pick, uh, for probably the past five years or so, pick a, a short book from the New Testament and just work our way through it. Um, normally, the, the initial plan is for those to take eight or nine weeks, and they usually wind up being 12 to 15 weeks. And so I, I anticipate we'll finish First Peter sometime towards the end of August, Labor Day. Uh, we'll, we'll see. November, I don't know, uh, but, but we'll see how, how it goes. The last couple summers, we've worked through uh, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians. We did First Thessalonians, and so this summer, if, if you know who wrote all those letters, we are transitioning from letters written by Paul to a letter written by Peter. And so we, we do this for a couple reasons. First of all, I think it's, it's fascinating for us to see how a letter written over 2,000 years ago to a specific people in a specific context has such up-to-date, real-world, practical implications and applications for us every single week. So I, I don't know what this summer will hold for you personally, for us as a church, in our city, in our community. Um, you know, if, if any of the, the year so far is any clue, I don't know that I want to know. Um, but, uh, but what I do know is as we work through First Peter each week, there are going to be things happening in your life, in my life, in our life. And as we come together, those passages, God just sovereignly arranges for us to be in the right place at the right time to hear his words for this particular season. So that's the, the spiritual, spirit-led reason that we preach this way every summer. The uh, second and probably more practical reason is Christian Chapel is the vacationingest church, and I know that's not a word, but it accurately describes uh, you and what I wish I was. But just throughout the summer, we are in and out and between different camps that we're doing as a church and you going to see grandma and vacation and all those other things. Uh, if we do just kind of short three or four week series, sometimes you might miss the whole series. Uh, sometimes you might only be here for one week. So when we do these book studies, it's a way for us to uh, all stay on the same page together all summer long. So whether you're watching online, uh, when you're out of town or unable to be here, or you're listening to the podcast, uh, here's what I can promise you. If you are here today and you say, I'm not going to be back until August, uh, first, why? And second, don't. And third, we'll still be in First Peter when you get here, right? So, so you can work through it with us. Uh, it's, it's going to be really, really a good, a good series and good summer for us. So uh, today we're going to do a little bit of work in understanding why Peter wrote this letter um, and what it means for us today. Okay, so we're just going to be in the, the first two verses, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 is where we'll get started. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along. If not, it'll be here on the screens for you. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. All right, so uh, Peter's big theme in this letter is going to be you've been chosen by God. And because you've been chosen, you can endure anything that comes your way. But just a, a real quick overview. So the author of this letter is Peter. 
All right, now, Peter, if, if you're familiar with the New Testament, this is the same Peter who is a disciple of Jesus. It's the same Peter who walks on water. It's the same Peter who tells Jesus on the night of Jesus' arrest, even if everyone deserts you, I won't, and then proceeds to deny Jesus three times. It's Peter who, when Jesus is risen from the dead, the angel tells that the first women who are there, go tell the disciples and Peter. It's Peter who runs to that empty tomb, sees the grave clothes laying there, and is filled with wonder at what he sees. It's Peter who is restored by Jesus. It's Peter who is in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out. It's Peter who stands up full of the Spirit's power, explains what has happened, that God is going to pour out his Spirit on all flesh, and 3,000 people are added to the church that day. It's the same Peter who in Acts chapter 10, God gives him a vision that this gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for Jews, but it's for Gentiles. It's for everyone, everywhere. The same Peter who we looked at a couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 15 is at the Jerusalem council where there's this tension of, is the gospel really for Gentiles or not? The same Peter who stands up and says, absolutely, yes, it is, who helps institutionalize equality in the church. Now, 1 Peter is written in the the early 60s, which means it's about 30 years after the resurrection and the day of Pentecost. It's, It's about 10 years after the Acts 15 Jerusalem Council. So by this point in Peter's life, he is a seasoned church leader, and he is a seasoned missionary. Now, he he writes this letter to a group of churches in what is today modern-day Turkey. And so his, his intention is that his letter will be passed around from church to church, will be read aloud to all of the congregations. So it's not just writing to one particular group. And in fact, most people think he's writing to a group of people that he may not have actually met in person. But he has heard about their situation. He's aware of what's going on in the Roman Empire, and he's writing to encourage them. Now, again, I said he wrote in the early 60s, so if, if any of you are uh, first century Roman emperor buffs, then you know, anybody? Nope? Okay, didn't think so. There we go, one. Yes, thank you, Keith, always. It's nice to have a history nerd with me all the time who enjoys those things. So, uh, but this is about the time that Nero is the emperor of Rome. Now, if you don't know anything about your Roman emperors, just know Nero is one of the worst. He is, uh, he's possibly mentally ill. He sets Rome on fire at one point, blames it on the Christians. He is the, the one who kind of initiates the persecution of Christians. In fact, there's stories of Nero holding garden parties where he takes Christians, uh, coats them in some kind of tar or oil, and then lights them on fire in posts in his garden to be lights for his garden parties. So this is, this is kind of Peter's writing right on the eve of these things happening. And so, so again, it, it maybe is similar to 1930s Germany, where Hitler and the, the Nazis are rising to power. And you can read about Christian leaders in Germany who, who sensed the winds of change and understood something very dark and very dangerous is coming. And they did their best in 1930s Germany to prepare the church for what was coming, to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of it. That's what Peter is doing in this letter. He is writing to a church for whom persecution is becoming a very real threat, and and it's possible some of them are already beginning to experience it. And so Peter writes, as the apostle of Jesus Christ, the entrusted messenger of Jesus, and he's writing to encourage the church to persevere in difficulty, to persevere in the face of persecution. And the way he does that is fascinating 
Because he doesn't necessarily say, hey, it's going to get really bad, but then it'll get better. He doesn't tell them, here's the way you're going to escape out of it. Instead, Peter begins his encouragement by telling them, look, things might get bad, but here's the first and most important thing you need to know. You are chosen. Right? You have been chosen by Jesus Christ for this time, in this place, and because of his choosing and his work, you can be faithful. Now, I, I do not mean to equate our current situation to first century believers living under the Roman Empire, but I do think we can all agree there are circumstances and times in our life where we wonder, God, why did you send this and are you going to get me through it? God, why did you allow this? Why won't you take it away? And we can get really caught up in the whys and the hows and the, the is this ever going to end? But what I want us to understand this summer and, and today especially is no matter who you are, where you are, or what you're facing, you can persevere because you have been chosen by God. And his choosing is proof of his presence in your life in this moment. Right, so, so listen to a couple words that Peter uses here. He says, to God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Right, so, so those first couple of words there, God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So God's choosing is intentional. He has a plan, and his plan is to choose you and to choose me to be part of his elect, part of his kingdom. Part of his, Peter's going to use all kinds of, of words to describe our place, that we're a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I mean, we're going to get into all, this is why it's going to take us till October to get through First Peter, because there's so much depth here. But what he's telling us from the very beginning is you matter because you are chosen. And so, so maybe to, to help us understand that, go back in your mind to elementary school, all right? So close your eyes, picture your elementary school. Some of us, it might take us a while to remember back that far, right? You're in the one-room schoolhouse, there's dirt, and uh, maybe not, not quite, but okay. So for me, I am, I'm at Adams Elementary in Ark City, Kansas. Now I want you to picture yourself out on the playground, and the teams are dividing up. And the two most popular, most athletic, strongest kids have been chosen to be the captains. Right? You're in fourth grade, and that 13-year-old who's in fourth grade for the seventh time is the captain, and you're just hoping you get picked on his team, mostly so he won't cream you when you start to play. And, and, and for some of us, that was a traumatizing and terrifying experience because we were always picked last or they didn't remember our name, or they just told us, hey, why don't you go swing? Okay, but, but I want you to think of it from a positive perspective. So you can open your eyes now. Think of it from a very positive perspective. Imagine you're in that setting, and you are picked first. Every single time, you are picked first. Now, when you are chosen... Your worth, your security, that, that, that thing that kind of swells up within you and causes you to throw your shoulders back and hold your head high, it is, it's not so much that you think, yeah, I deserve it. It's more that the person doing the choosing has conferred value on you by choosing you. 
So here's what we need to understand from the very, very beginning. As God's elect who have been chosen, we do not take pride that we have earned this or deserve it, but we take pride and find our worth, our value, our security, our significance in the one who chose us. If God chooses to elect me, If he chooses according to his foreknowledge to include me in his family, include me in his kingdom, then my life matters because he picked me. This is what Peter is trying to help the church understand. Persecution might come. Hardship might come. Insults. All of these things might come your way. Real physical suffering. But what you need to understand is you matter no matter what happens because of the God who has chosen you you. And and just in case we don't understand how serious God is in his choosing, listen to the language Peter uses. He says, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. now, Now, this is Peter's Trinitarian statement. He's telling us the fullness of God works out the fullness of your salvation. God did not half-heartedly or or kind of just a little bit choose you. He didn't say, hey, I kind of want you in. But he expressed the fullness of his power and personhood to work salvation in your life. According to the foreknowledge of the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, so you can be obedient to Jesus Christ sprinkled with his blood. God is so committed to you, he puts all of his effort, all of his time, all of his energy, all of his personhood into your choosing. You matter. You have been elected. Right now, now in the church, there's always a conversation of, but who are the elect? Right? For, for the last 500 years, since the Protestant Reformation, we've had conversations, fights, disagreements, divisions about who are the elect, who are the chosen, who are the not chosen, who are the vessels of honor and the vessels of dishonor. And you can go all the way around in these conversations, and you can talk about predestination, and you can talk about how salvation works, and you can talk about man's free will and God's sovereign choice and all of these sorts of things. And my, my only warning to you would be any time you meet someone who tells you they figured it all out, just run the other way, right? Because they, they probably don't have it perfected. There's a reason for 500 years the church has been saying, I think this is important to consider, I think this is important to consider, because all of these things are in the scripture. That yes, God elects and chooses us all, and yes, we also have a responsibility to receive his election. And, and so for our sake this morning, if we're asking what does Peter mean by elect and chosen, then the best way for us to understand that is to look at his sermons in Acts and his writings in First and Second Peter to understand what he means. All right, so, so first you can go back to Acts chapter 10. And it says, then Peter began to speak, I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You can flip over to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So, so who are the elect? Well, according to Peter, God does not show favoritism and calls everyone everywhere to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So from Peter's perspective, repentance is everyone, everywhere, all of the time who will come to God in repentance. 
So it's, it's not just a, a blanket statement of, hey, y'all don't worry, do whatever you want, you've been elected and chosen. But it is a blanket statement, you've all been elected, you've all been chosen, and now you have a responsibility to repent and walk in the ways that Christ reveals to you. So who are the elect? You are the elect. I am the elect. Everyone everywhere is the elect. And our job is to tell everyone everywhere, you have been chosen. As followers of Jesus, especially for those of us who maybe enjoy a good theological fight or discussion, it's vital, and Peter's trying to help us understand, that we should not spend so much time fighting about how salvation works that we forget to announce salvation is here. Our job is to embrace our election, to embrace our choosing, and to tell everyone everywhere that they also have been chosen with us. Now again, there are all kinds of real-world practical implications that we're going to dive into over the course of the summer. Right? I mean, just, just off the top, if you are elected and chosen by God, then how could I allow any kind of cultural, racial, economic division to separate us? Right? If you and I together are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, called and set apart by Jesus Christ, then how can we allow differences of opinion, culture, or custom to separate us? We are all the elect. We are all chosen by God. And, and yet, Peter's telling us, he calls everyone, everywhere to repentance. So, so maybe think of it this way. God has extended in Jesus Christ the offer of salvation to you. He said, you are the elect. But now you make a decision. Will you receive that invitation or not? So you can, you can think of it in all kinds of different ways, right? That the, you've been chosen for the team, but are you going to start playing? You've been offered the job, but are you going to start working? The trip has been paid for, the tickets are in hand, but are you going to get on the plane and go enjoy the experience? The house has been purchased, are you going to move in? The proposal has been given. Are you going to enter into the relationship? You see, we have been elected. We have been chosen. And yet there does fall on us some response to this election and choosing. But again, it is the Holy Spirit at work in us who makes this possible. What does Peter tell us? You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, and by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's, it's not on me and it's not on you to just take hold of my election, to take hold of your choosing, and to live out this life. But the work of the Holy Spirit is what comes and makes us aware of our sin, makes us aware of our Savior. He's the one who enables us to walk this new path of salvation. So, so let's go back to our, our recess analogy. So you're, you're on the, the corridor. We'll, we'll, even, we'll push it past. So let's just say you're in any position in life where somebody in power and influence is choosing you for their team. So it, it could be in business, it could be at school, it could be in a, a band somewhere, it could be on a team, it could be in, in any avenue of academia, the church, whatever. But the person you admire the most, let's say they are picking teams and they choose you first. Now there is worth and there is value that comes from being chosen. But in most of those situations, when you are chosen by them, you're now on the team and expected to contribute according to your power, your abilities, your intellect. 
What Peter is telling us, though, is when you are chosen by God, you step into this new relationship, this new kingdom, you become a new people, and the power of his spirit goes to work in you to enable you to live the life he's calling you to live. So it's, it's like you're chosen for this elite team by this elite person. And when you join their team, not only are you chosen by them, but if they had the ability to give you all of their knowledge, all of their ability, all of their power, this is the picture Peter's creating for us of our election and of our choosing. You're not just brought in and given a t-shirt and said, welcome to the team, but you were brought in and given the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead to dwell in you. You can persevere not because of who you are, but because who lives inside of you. So there are no circumstances that can grind this away. There are no circumstances that can take this away. And then Peter continues to talk to us about what this life now looks like. Okay, so, we, so we've been chosen. We've been elected. We have been called into this family. Now what? Is it just like a, a title you wear? Is it just a name change and then you go on doing whatever you want for the rest of your life? As, as we'll read through 1 Peter, we'll see it's not that at all. But it begins to affect every single part of our life. And he summarizes it really briefly for us here by telling us you have been chosen for a purpose. He says, you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. All right, so, so we'll, we'll finish pretty quickly here this morning. A couple things, though. First of all, you have been chosen to be obedient. Right, this is why Jesus calls us. It's how he works in our life. It's not just, hey, your name has been changed, now do what you want. You've been chosen to be obedient to Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I know for me, I am really good at obeying things that I like to do. Right? If you tell me, Chris, go home today and sit on the couch, great. Make your son mow. I like it. Uh, hang out with your wife, good. Go to Qdoba. All right, we have now hit all of the things that I want to do. And, and some of us, this is our view of Jesus. I've been chosen, I've been elected. Now I hope he only tells me to do what I already wanted to do. Go and make a lot of money. Go and be healthy and strong. Go not ever have any difficulties at all. Go and be loved by everyone. Go and be embraced everywhere. Go without trial, without hardship, without difficulty. And we're thinking, yes, I will obey that. But we've been elected, we've been chosen to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And he's going to call us to some things that stretch us. He's going to call you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He's going to command you to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile. He's going to tell me that I'm supposed to give in a way that I don't know what my right, my right hand doesn't know what my left hand is doing. He's going to tell me to sacrifice, to love, to serve, to take the last seat at the table, to do whatever it takes to reach everyone, everywhere with the gospel. He's going to call me to die to myself. He's going to command me to let him be the absolute Lord and Savior of my life. And in those spaces of obedience, now it gets a little challenging. Right? Because now I can't do it on my own anymore. Now I am dependent on the sanctifying work of the Spirit to give me both the desire and the ability to love and obey Jesus Christ. 
And this is where some of us, we, we believe we've been elected, we believe we've been chosen, we even believe we've been called to be obedient, and yet somewhere in there, we've abandoned the work of the Spirit and determined to do it through our own effort. And our relationship with Jesus has become dry, it's become lifeless, it's become just a, a, a formal matter of religious routine. We've lost the life that accompanies it. And my encouragement to you today is you have been elected, you have been chosen, you have been called to repentance, but he doesn't call us into a life and then say, now good luck, do it on your own. But the call to obedience is first a call to surrender to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And as we surrender to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, he begins to bring life, he begins to bring passion to live this way. Right? And it is going to cause you to stand out. Later, we're going to see Peter tells us we are aliens and strangers in this world. Right? That a life of obedience is not going to be a life of fitting in. A life of surrender to the Spirit is not going to look like everyone you work with or go to school with. You're going to stand out. Why? Because you've been elected and you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. He doesn't call us to just blend into the background. He calls us to a life of radical obedience. But again, that is not something that we should kind of pump the brakes on or push back against. But it's something we say, okay, Holy Spirit, if that's where it is, call me, lead me, help me experience it. And then the the last little part of Peter's greeting here. He says, you've been called to be obedient to Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. A life of obedience is a life of grace and peace. It's a life that understands my circumstances do not dictate my emotions or my responses. But I am one who's been chosen by God. And so when business is good and when business is bad, I am the elect. Right? When my relationships are awesome and when they're awful, I surrender to the work of the Spirit. When I feel like I'm defeating every temptation, when I feel like I'm succumbing to them, I make myself available to the blood of Jesus Christ that has purchased my salvation for me. And in all of these experiences, the Christian experience is to be grace and peace. Now, grace and peace is a a common greeting and a common conclusion in these New Testament letters. You find Peter saying it again and again. You find Paul saying it again and again. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Many Sundays when you leave, that's my final benediction to you. May his grace and peace be on you. Right? Why do we say that? Not just because they are nice sounding words. They don't just go together and flow off the tongue in a certain way. But these are the definitions of what it means to be chosen and elected by God. By his grace, you have been given peace. And now through his grace, you can experience peace. And what does Peter say? Not in a little bit, not just enough, but in abundance. It's a picture of his grace and peace in your lowest, worst moments is going to well up in you and overflow out of you into the world around you. I have never been in a spot in life where I have thought or prayed, that's enough grace or that's enough peace. I don't think you have either. You've never been in a a moment where you thought, you know what, things are just, things are just going too well right now. Stop with the peace prayers. Give me some strife. 
Nobody prays that. Nobody's ever thought, you know what? Yeah, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But God, I'm good. I could use some wrath and judgment. Can you pour those? No, no, no. There's never, we never reach our end of our need for grace and peace. And God never reaches his end of pouring it out on us. The life Jesus calls us into is a life of grace and peace. And so if you're in a spot this morning where maybe, the, maybe it's the circumstances of the last couple months, they have robbed you of peace and they've robbed you of grace. The answer is Jesus Christ and the sanctifying work of his spirit. Maybe you're facing some challenges right now in your, in your family, in your job. There is a lack of grace and there is a lack of peace. My encouragement to you today is those two things always go hand in hand. If you want peace in your relationship, first you need the grace of Jesus Christ in that space. If you want peace in your home, you need the grace of Jesus Christ. If you want peace in your heart, you need the grace of Jesus Christ. If we want peace in our world, in our city, in our relationships, we need the grace of Jesus Christ. And what Peter is going to tell us again and again and again is because you are chosen, because you are the elect, grace and peace are yours in abundance. Not because of who you are, but because of the one who chose you. He never stops pouring it out. Again and again and again. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for us and the band's going to come and lead us in a a final song this morning. You bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus, we come to you today recognizing our need for your grace and your peace. Lord, I pray for those who who might be here or watching online who don't have a relationship with you. They've never taken their place as your elect and chosen ones. They've never prayed that prayer of repentance of Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sins. They've never experienced the joy of their salvation in you. Lord, I pray in these moments that they would pray those prayers of repentance. They would experience the cleansing work of your power in them. And they would take their place in your family with us as your sons and your daughters join together in our mutual experience of your choosing and your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you that you chose us not because of who we are or what we could do, but solely because of what you have accomplished for us. That you are patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So Lord, we ask in these moments that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would cleanse us of all of the filth inside of us, that you would drive out the darkness with the light of your presence. Jesus, help us to take our place as those who've been chosen by you. Lord, I pray for those who are here today who need an outpouring of your grace and your peace in their life. Lord, you see those who are suffering physically from sickness, from disease, from injury. We pray today, Lord, that your grace and peace would be made real and tangible as you release your gifts of healing in their body. Lord, I pray for those whose minds, their emotions, their souls are are tormented today. Will you pour out your joy and your peace 
Lord, we pray for relationships that are on the verge of being torn apart. May they become a space where your grace and peace are experienced in abundance. Jesus, we are asking today that you will not bring us just enough grace and peace to get through, but that it will well up and overflow into every single part of our life, every single part of our world. May our homes be a place where grace and peace abound. May our marriages be a place where grace and peace abound. In our relationships with our children, with our parents, with our coworkers and neighbors, may grace and peace abound. Lord, in our city, as we surrender to you, may grace and peace abound. May it well up within your chosen ones and overflow into the world as an extension of grace and an invitation to receive mercy. Lord, you see our needs, you see the ways that we have tried to meet them on our own and how spectacularly we have failed. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that we can achieve your purposes through our power. Today we ask for the sanctifying work of your spirit to be the experience of every person in this room, every person watching online, every person listening later, may we surrender to the power of your spirit and let you produce the grace and the peace that is only found in you. Lord, we long for this to be our reality. Help us to receive our place as your chosen and elect ones. Help us to embrace our calling and to live by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The band's gonna lead us in a a song we sang earlier that reminds us of our identity. As they sing, if you'd like someone to join with you in some personal prayers, maybe it's to follow Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's to experience his grace and peace. If you're in person, you can head out the back doors and to your left, our prayer team will be waiting to meet you in the prayer room and pray those prayers. If you're watching online, you can do that at christianchapel.com slash prayer. We would love to to pray those and get in contact with you this week. All of us, so we're going to sing this last song as a reminder that we have been chosen, we have been elected, and there is a new way of life possible for us.
God has picked you out according to his foreknowledge to be part of his family by the work of Jesus Christ and the sanctifying of his Holy Spirit. As you go, may you receive that. May we walk in an attitude of repentance and acceptance. And may our lives overflow with an abundance of grace and peace. God bless you as you go today. May you go in the power of his spirit at work in you. Thanks for joining us for worship today. If you could help us out and visit out in the foyer or just out on the front porch, that would help us get things turned around for next service. God bless you. May you go in his grace and peace. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.